That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Still the time I'm getting much of my man. Happy Friday. We missed you last week. We took Good Friday off. It is April 9th and... The cup is half full and refillable. We've got Greg Hughes here and That's Scott right. Howell to talk some politics and another busy week. We missed last week where there was all kinds of drama. We'll let uh, sleeping dramas lie. <laughs> uh, today, though, I think uh, the freshest thing on our mind is that we have the new uh, Interior Secretary, Deb Haaland, who's been in Utah now for three days. I think she's, as we're recording this, probably on her way back to Washington right now. But she was in southern Utah. She was in Blanding, uh, touring Bears Ears, a grand staircase today on Friday. She was with the governor and our congressional leaders. Uh, when we look at this visit, I saw glimmers of hope, like there was listening. I don't know if this was sort of just the nice icing on the cake and it's going to look nice and then nothing happens and no one listens, but it seems hopeful to me. Scott, let's start with you. Um, we obviously have about 10 different issues on this of why we want it bigger or smaller or why it should stay or change. Do you think that she came here with a real mission of listening or do you think President Biden will do what President Biden wants? Well, I think it could be a combination of both. And uh, realistically, after seeing uh, Senator Romney and Congressman Moore down there with her and watching all uh, from the sideline with Spencer and Deidre and uh, local elected officials, this genuinely was a listening tour. Um, I have a little insight on this issue. Ooh, it's let's just, hear uh, it. Well, I don't know how much I should share. Uh, but <laughs> I'm going to bust you as soon as it's my turn. <laughs> okay. So go ahead. Say the, what you want. So I'm going to totally so throw the curtain back when it's my yeah. turn. Well, um, we'd been working and reaching out back to the secretary's office. And one thing that they told us, and you'll probably appreciate this, Greg, this is not going to be political. You didn't see any Democratic legislative leaders down there. You didn't see any yeah. chairman of the party down there. You didn't see me. You didn't see anybody else. This truly was Spencer Cox's show, and that's what he wanted to yeah. do. And he wanted to lead out on that uh, issue. Even our former governor um, had uh, approached me, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, much to his chagrin, uh, it was made pretty clear that the uh, our current governor wants to be out in front on this. And from Romney's perspective, uh, his office had uh, had conversation, and they truly want to fix this. Yeah. I mean, it's like yep. what you did on homelessness and what you yep. did on other things. You wanted a genuine fix. And, you know, there's good people on both sides of this. Uh, I was so impressed with Doug Owens and Phil Lyman getting together to put dollars into a uh, center down there. And that's what we need more of, that synergy to do that. And so I genuinely believe that that's what she's going to do now with President Biden. Uh, we talked about this issue when he'd come out a couple times earlier. Yeah. And his take was, why does this keep coming up? You know, why can't we have an end-all to fix this? Why does it keep coming up? Because presidents like him, when they're elected, come in and with the, just one autograph, you know, change things. And I think that's where the frustration is, is that every time we get a new president, we could literally get a bigger park, a smaller park, another park. And I think that's 
Well, it goes back to the yo-yo. Yeah, and it goes back to Clinton. Yeah. On the staircase, I was part of that. I got the call a half hour before he announced, and Bill Orton was sitting uh, in in another office, and we both looked at each other and said, "What in the Hades is going on here?" And so it started with Clinton. Bush entered into it. Uh, Obama entered into it. Trump entered into it. And so I think Joe is genuine in saying, let's fix this once for all. And much to uh, Governor Herbert's credit, that's what he wanted to do. And that's and I think he will still have a, uh, a role in this. But it, it, it needs to be fixed because it's not fair to the tribes. It's not fair to the locals. It's not fair to the ranchers. It's not fair to yeah. the business people. Yep. And that's who we forget too and it often. It does. It impacts people's lives. When you go down there, when you're in this small community, look, they do not have conduits of communication to the White House, to any administration, <laughs> right. Republican or Democrat. No. It's, 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 it, is, it is a place where they, are, they feel that they are uh, being politically leveraged, depending on which party's in power or which administration is there. And it does have measurable impact on the way they are able to live in the land that they've grown up and their families have. And so you feel that. I, even back when uh, Secretary Zinke under the Trump yeah, administration right. went into that area, I had as speaker and uh, Senate, President, Senate President Niederhauser was the Senate sponsor. We had passed a resolution asking President Trump to rescind entirely the, the, mm-hmm. the, the uh, national monument. monument. But that's not what happened. I felt like like you're describing right now that this really was a tour looking at what these antiquities are or could, or could be or how they've been identified. And what you saw is you didn't see that this was wiped away or the slate clean right. or went back. It was preserved, but it was it was pared back. You know, you have states that, that so I, I think it's what it's uh, air, it's Alaskan. Is it Wyoming that have exempted themselves from these? national monuments we have two states that have said look we're not we're not in this game anymore and they got they got congressional approval where they're not subject to these national monuments that's not an answer either where every state just goes and tries to get their own cinderella (laughs) slipper passed through congress so i agree that there needs to be a better solution than ping-ponging these people in a community where they don't have a strong voice and their numbers aren't great enough to impact anyone's election statewide Certainly not nationally. So they really are, um, I feel, victims to, to the politics of a lot of this. And yeah. so the thing I'm going to uh, totally bust Scott on, which is actually a compliment, is you do have a unique relationship with this administration. Uh, you are, I would argue, one of our strongest conduits of communication with the Biden administration here in Utah. So when you say that this is the politics have been simmered down, that this has been a genuine listening tour, I truly hope that that's what's happening because the people in San Juan County and the people in these areas, they deserve. Oh, they absolutely. deserve yeah. the full attention of public servants, regardless of party. And so I hope that that, that resonated in that well, tour. Well, I don't want to oversell it because uh, I don't know if you went through this, but uh, during the campaign, every call I put in got called back pretty quickly. And everything they asked me to do, it's taken a couple of months to be able to get through to somebody. And it's like, Scott, who? Now, what, what, what did you do out there? Yeah, what did you yeah. do out there? Okay, oh, that's right. You heard that. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I, 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 I'll share something else with you. I don't mind telling you. Uh, my good contact is Joe's sister, Valerie. And oh, so I right. called, and I said, Valerie, what's up with this? And she said, Scott. You just got to know they are focused on COVID-19 and they're moving 150 miles an hour. And uh, they don't even have their protocols in on appointments. U.S. Attorney, U.S. Marshal, 
uh, all the things that could affect Utah because I've got a plethora of people who want to be considered. And so I, I'm going to cut slack and say, yeah, that's, that is. And uh, President Trump didn't exactly have a good transition <laughs> relationship. Uh, yeah. And another administration, Bush uh, and Clinton had a great one. Obama and Bush had a great one. Yeah. I don't know that the Obama into Trump was great. And I don't know that Trump into, on either end, the bookends were not great there. And I think that all matters. What I do hope is this doesn't boil down to Democrats want all the land, Republicans right. want given back. Right. Because that's such a simplified view of what the issues right. are there. There's so many different reasons. And I love that um, the new interior secretary is a Native American, so she has um, interesting insight there. But like you were mentioning, there's so many different things with people who live there and the businesses right. and, you know, just livelihoods, so much right. that matters. And I think that whether it remains the large chunk that it is or it's pared down, either way, if there was a solid answer, I think the counties like San Juan could deal with it better if they knew that was that, it was the end of it, and we're not going to go back and forth every time there's a new president. Uh, and, you know, speaking of San Juan, the San Juan County Commissioner got an email at uh, 2 in the morning that said, hey, meet me in Kanab today, and they were grousing a little bit about that. But I think what the secretary realized is that she needed to have that local input yeah. more. And so she changed everything and brought them back into the fold. And, I, Scott, if they haven't got the memo yet, let them know that if they see a sign that says Utah Han. <laughs> They are not no. from this state, okay? When you see the Utah Hans for anything, the that. Utah Hans are not from this state. That I is a spell check error. I have seen protest groups yeah. down there. Like, there was, like, anti-mask and for... And I'm like, what does this have to do with the, the land? The woman. Like, I'm just talking the simple spelling of our state in Utahns. It is not a U-T-A-H-A-N apostrophe S. But if you go to spell check, those, they get it wrong. So Utahns, it's Utahns, know, not Utah yes. Hans. All right. So the bears, are they wearing masks and bears ears? That's the question of the day. That's no, not really. I don't no, think so. probably not. No. Uh, let's talk gun reform. I feel like every issue we have, it sort of goes away and bubbles up, and it's bubbled up again, sadly, because there were two mass shootings literally just yesterday, Thursday, in the U.S. One of them in Texas where an employee of a company, I think maybe a former employee, came in and shot Five people killed one, critically injured four others. Then eventually, when they were trying to capture him, shot a state trooper there. Then in South Carolina, we have that former NFL player, mm. Philip Adams. We still don't know why he did it, but fatally shot five people, a grandma and grandpa, someone working at their home, their grandchildren, plain awful. And it came on the same day that President Biden was trying to work on some of his gun reform. And... He's going after ghost guns and also maybe a red flag law and some modifications to pistols, um, turning some weapons into short-barreled rifles. Greg, you go first on this one. Uh, obviously, guns are an ongoing issue. People scream back and forth that the NRA has too much control, that no one wants to do anything in Congress. Can we do something with executive orders to create more safety, more security, or are they just Band-Aids on a bullet hole, as Taylor Swift would say? Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I, I do think we need to – I think executive orders, I mean, in, in the absence of a Congress that's willing to do ac its actual constitutional duty and engage and pass legislation, I, can un I have an appreciation why an administration would look at executive orders. It is not the way our government is set up. It is not the way the Constitution reads that this should be done by executive order. There is a, you know, our members of Congress have to tackle these hard and difficult and very emotional issues. Uh, having been a former lawmaker, I can tell you that if there is an idea that we can pass a bill 
that will take the 300 plus million guns that are in our country right now and they would disappear or that everyone would turn them in or that there would be whatever whatever the bill would be that would be passed would be signed there's some realities to this country and uh, the right to bear arms and people owning uh, firearms that's not going to go away even if you pass a bill that said as much so i think we have to take this issue i think that some of the issues especially with the nfl player i don't know the, the details of that mm-hmm. but i do so. know that there is a trend of some very very tragic suicides and and acts of violence that have happened with professional uh, retired professional football players because of brain injury and yeah. things like that. He did have many concussions. So, I, you know, there's going to be issues like that. It's interesting. I've, I, you know, there's all these statistics that run around, Scott, and you've heard them too. And, but, you know, it's interesting that in Australia, which is oftentimes used as a country as an example of when they had a massacre, they outlawed guns, and they've not had a massacre there in, that, in Australia since. But there's also statistics that show that there are more guns that are they're owned by Australians today. Maybe it's illegal to own them, but there are more guns there that now than there were back then. And so you could argue that because people are able to arm themselves or have them at their homes, maybe that's why it's not happening. But I just don't think you're getting rid of these guns. I think we have a it's in our DNA. I think this country, we are gun owners. And so I, let's let's at least temper our expectations of what we think federal laws can do. Because we're not going to eliminate guns. This is not going to be... I watch these BBC shows where, you know, a crime show, where they, like, use acid or they just, like, kill people in horrible ways because they don't have guns, right? (laughs) And I think I'm watching these shows and I'm going, America's never going to this. We're never going to be, like, having our crazies that are... or or crimes that are... There are no guns. Guns are going to be in this country. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that if you go back in history, it's why Japan didn't want to really invade the United States because we all... You know, knew how to arm ourselves. So, anyway, that's my. So you're seeing at the very heart of this, we're all violent and we'll find ways to kill each other. <laughs> I think we're a guns. sovereign nation, and the sovereignty <laughs> is within the people, and the people protect that sovereignty with their right to bear arms. So, Scott, uh, on the flip side here, uh, the president mm. has been saying uh, that these executive actions—they're uh, not infringing on anyone's right to bear arms. He's only wanting to take care of things like ghost guns. Does that really change anything? And a ghost gun, for people who don't know, I had to Google it myself, are these guns that you can print or you order the parts and put it together. Um, I think some people do it as a hobby. I think some people don't want to be traced. Will control of that solve our problem or at least a piece of the problem, or is it just a drop in the bucket? I think it's a drop in the bucket. I I think people who want guns are always going to be able to get them. For my eighth birthday, my grandpa Tuttle uh, lived in Castle Dell, Utah, and gave me a twenty-two, and I was out shooting rabbits at, tw- uh, at eight years old. A rabbit killer. Uh, well, we <laughs> ate them. Oh, they good. They were cottontails. I love that. And we ate them. I'd bring them home, and Grandpa would clean them, and Grandma would cook them up. And I remember uh, my dad told me years later that he'd called down there and said, "How's Scott?" And they said, "Oh, he's great." And I said, "What is he doing?" And he said, "He's <laughs> outside." And my dad said, "Well, don't let him have any guns." <laughs> And my grandpa said, a little late on that one. We took him out. But my grandpa spent hours and hours with me about safety and how to operate a a, a gun. And it it taught me such wonderful principles about a firearm. And you don't hold the barrel up and you you never put it like that. This is like a new picture of Scott Howell for me. I never... Imagined you out running in the rough, shooting rabbits. Oh yeah, this is in his pa- out in his pasture. Dinner? Oh yeah, and yeah. pheasants. I was shooting pheasants at, uh, with twelve gauge. Still have the pump shotgun. But to me, this issue really goes to the heart of uh, having proper safety training and techniques like that. 
I sponsored a bill, and Greg, I don't know if you ever did a firearm bill. I sponsored one up there on Capitol Hill where I said, to purchase a firearm, you need to just go through a safety class. Just just go through a safety class, you know, uh, an hour safety class. And it, it passed the first reading in the Senate, and the next day uh, the NRA was all in our chamber, and they went after and Republicans voted for it. Yeah. Uh, good, yeah. My good friends. And that day they pivoted. And I thought that was so unfair because it wasn't I was banning guns. It wasn't I wanted to take them away. I wanted to have them safe. I had a, uh, one of my constituents, their uh, <clears throat> child uh, invited a, a, a young man from India over to their house. A couple had moved in out there. And uh, he was, uh, they were eight years old, and his mom had left a firearm on the cabinet in the kitchen, and the little boy from India picked it up and went over and shot himself. <sighs> Because he yeah. didn't know. He thought it was a toy. So that's why I sponsored the bill, because the family came to me. And sure. they were immigrants, very smart people. And the mother just said, what can we do? What can right. we do? And it was a pure accident. See, it's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm tracking what you're saying, because I, you don't know what you don't know. You don't. If, you, if you're unfamiliar with guns, and you've never used them, and there's no one in your family, you don't have a grandpa right. Tuttle to, to take right. you and help and, and give you, get you a 22 and, and do those things, then you don't know whether there's a passion there or a comfort level there. I've, I, I've actually argued that within our, as an elective at least, within our high school curriculum, yeah. there ought to be a, a, a course yes. where you get familiar yes. and can learn because there's a lot of people that didn't grow up around guns that right. when they take a course or they do something, they find that they have an interest or that they're more comfortable. I, I think... It, Education, how, how can you go wrong? The well, more you inform someone, the more you educate it, them, it's the better it is. And I think, uh, real quick here, uh, Ben McAdams and I decided to take a concealed carry class. Ooh. And so we went out together. He, uh, ben must have been so confused. <laughs> he probably was saying, I bet you he got an F. If they I tested him, he got a, a gun. So ben I'm got, myself ben got an yet. F. I'm just predicting that right now. You, I just heard your story. You got an A. Ben got an F. Well, uh, Kurt, um, what was Kurt's last name? Bramble? You no, know, Kurt no, uh, from uh, the house. Uh, uh, oh, Kurt Oda. 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 Kurt yep. Oga and a potion taught the class. Oh, okay. And so Ben and I went out there together, and it was out at the uh, whatever the gun range is out there, Sperry or something like yeah. that. And so we're sitting there in class, and, and there were people from General Ledge Council who were in the class with us. And I'll never forget, and, and I'm not being sexist here. I'm just telling the facts. This woman walked in. And she had her purse there, and she was a little late, and Ben was sitting here, and I was just on the other side of him. And she walked in, and she lifted up her purse and turned it over, and this firearm, this pistol, this 9-millimeter pistol hit the, the desk. And we're all going... And she said, is this the class where I come to learn how to use this thing? Oh, my God. And, you know, <laughs> I've never seen Kurt Ola. Everybody's <laughs> under the table at that point. Everybody's <laughs> taking cover. And so uh, I think it was a potion. said, is it loaded? And she said, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's loaded. But that's to Greg's point. And, and you never having fired yeah. I Don't you think it just is common sense to have, if you get a firearm, you ought to be able to do it. I think the only thing that makes sense in Biden's, what, what he could do, is maybe the red flag laws. Now, they weren't around when I was up there. They yeah. probably were when you were. Yep. But uh, that might be a good deterrent yeah. to know if Scott Howell and Linda Howell are in a domestic quarrel 
and the police have the information, it's probably a good idea that they come and have a cooling off period. Now, I'm a Second Amendment believer, but maybe it's a good idea that someone intervened. The, the, I don't the know. sticky part about that, and we, yeah. we explored this issue in, in an authentic way without, you know, without talking points Emotion or any, and, all that. and yeah. all that. But the, the problem that in getting something like that passed is the subjectivity of yeah. who what makes the accusation. The, yeah. Who makes the yeah. accusation right. and is it valid? Is it a, right. and so there's just, there, there was a lot of gray area there that it was, it was hard to uh, find a, just an know, area that's situ- reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. You can describe one that where it's so intuitive you would want that that to be the case, but there's to, to codify that was what was yeah. the challenge. And, and the inter- I, interesting oh, thing I was going to say is I can't account for all mass shootings, but when you go back and look at them, especially the ones that make their way into the news where we're paying attention, most of them, it seems to me, are buying their guns legally. They're going through the yeah. process. I mean, they can trace where the guns came from. They're not legally obtained. And so the question is, you know, what kind of these controls are going to stop these things? It's it's tough to ask because they're jumping through the proper hoops. They're getting the guns legally. They're not, you know, these ghost guns. I don't know that I've ever heard of a mass shooting with a ghost gun. Ghost Maybe gun. they've happened, you know. It, uh, Heidi, you bring up two excellent points. The, the first is remember the Las Vegas shooting. Why do we have magazines that hold more than 10 rounds? I mean, I just don't get that. Uh, I had a clip in my gun, but I had to recock it every time. But I think we could have a common sense, like maybe you only need 10, 15 bullets. I don't know. And, and But think about that guy down in Vegas when he was shooting out of the hotel. And he had the bump stock. He right? had the bump yeah. stock. And, and then the question I have for you, Heidi, are, is the media sensationalizing this too much? It, you know, is that the, should the, the role of the media to say, you know, there was a shooting. That's it. I don't know. That's a tough question, and I think we talk about this ourselves when it goes on in the newsroom because when somebody goes and, you know, wipes out 10, 12 kids at a high school or whatever, I feel like people want to know, they want to understand, so you need to report. But then you could cross the line where it's too much, and then you get the copycats. But you can't not report about it, too. So I think it's this double-edged sort of, you know, what is the right answer? Because, you know, we don't say, oh, we're not going to report about that kidnapping because we don't want other people to kidnap or that murder, you know. And so it's just like where do you draw the line of what you talk about or not talk about? Now, we don't have this issue here in your local reporter. So everything you just said, I totally get. But when you have the murder rates that you do in Chicago where people are being killed at the frequency that they are, and you have some of these inner city places where certainly the number of those that have been victims of violence with guns or deaths, you are just fundamentally not seeing that reported like you are some other shootings. That's where, that is where... Far more people are dying with those shootings just all over the place than in mass shootings. They get the attention. And there there needs to be an accountability to that and to the leadership of those those cities where that is happening so frequently without pause, without without remark. That's where, that's where it feels selective to me. Yeah. Where we're not seeing a uniform, right. uniform approach to this issue, and then if you, and then it gets even worse that if there is a mass shooting and someone thinks it's a white supremacist or someone oh, right. who is a right. who is Republican, yeah, right. we see it everywhere. But right. if they were left leaning right. and they were the other way, right. you don't see you don't see the same attention. That's not locally. I'm not saying that's locally. I'm saying the national narratives that we see in our cable network news. You seem to there seems to be a different emphasis. At least that's what I I gather. I know so, people always like to say that it's like 
that's always crazy white men that do it, but I saw some pictures, I think I brought this up recently, but someone put all the pictures of people from mass shootings over the last couple of years, and it's every creed you can think of out oh, there. Sure. You know, it's a mix of, of people, and so it, it's not all the same person. Yeah. I don't know who this most recent one was in Texas. I don't know that they've named them yet. Uh, the mass shooting in South Carolina is obviously um, a black man. The shooting that was at that super grocery store, I think he was Syrian. I mean, it's, he was. you can't assign it to one yeah. race or one population or Mm-mm. rich or poor. We've got problems all over the place. I, you know, when I think about this issue, I always think about Gabby Gifford, Congressman oh, Gifford. Oh, yeah. so sad. And, and, and I saw her last night on uh, PBS uh, before Biden uh, made the announcement. He jumped off the podium, went out to the audience and gave her a... Uh, uh, elbow bump and uh, she spoke just very carefully and you know what a remarkable story of someone uh, that has taken the worst thing in life and turned yeah. it into something positive so. absolutely she's been remarkable to watch and her husband as well i, I want to skip on to another topic because we're not going to solve guns today but utah's <laughs> mask mandate we can Give solve five that more in minutes like we five had minutes. it i know we were almost there <laughs> almost. so the state's mask mandate according to the bill that was um voted on the legislature signed by the governor, ends the mask mandate April 10th, which is Saturday tomorrow. But it's making a weird puzzle piece of where you can wear masks, where you cannot. Uh, Scott, we've seen Salt Lake City's mayor uh, coming in here and using her executive powers to keep a mask mandate. Well, Salt Lake County's health director is saying we don't need it. And the interesting thing that I look at, whether you're for or against masks, is everyone keeps saying, follow the science, listen to the scientists. But when you look at Salt Lake County and when they go through the numbers, they're saying our case rates are low, our ICU numbers are dropping, our positivity rates are dropping, our vaccinations are going up. We never were wearing masks and shutting things down to get rid of the virus. We were trying to protect the vulnerable, which we've done, and vaccinations are the direction we're heading. Is Salt Lake City just playing political games, or is this really something we need to be doing and still protecting the vulnerable and wearing masks? Probably a little bit of both, okay. if, you, if you look at it from that perspective. I think uh, uh, there's probably a, a left-leaning group that's leading Salt Lake City right now that are more on the socialist side. Um, and on the other side of it, uh, I was just listening to a, a broadcast on the way down here. A, a national a CDC director was talking about mask work, and they asked her specifically about Utah. We have about a million-plus people vaccinated mm-hmm. now. And the question was, do you think it's okay for, to, for us to lift that mandate? And her answer was, you're not there yet. You're close, but you're not there yet. I think the other uh, argument that Greg makes so well is about the economy and what we need to be thinking about that. For me, it's a personal decision that says, I don't want to take any chance. Our family passed it except my son that lives in California. He and everybody in his family, his four kids, and uh, they all got it. His wife didn't get it, and, and they were sick, and we were scared and nervous. Uh, I don't know what protocols he used. I want to think that as a good father, he probably was listened and, and had them. But it, it's a serious disease. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's bad. So I, I think common sense has to rule here. And when Gary Edwards, the county health director, yeah. said, hey, we're in line with this, uh, the mayor came out and said, well, we're going to keep doing this. And I think private business has a piece of this. Yeah, I, I really right. do. I think that they have a responsibility to ensure that what they want to do. 
you know, Heidi, when you walked out and you didn't have on your mask, I, I said, <laughs> did you guys lift the mandate today? Because I thought, you know what? Maybe they did. I don't know. I know. They you had, walked I out was, without a mask? I know. I, I am shocked. I was putting my makeup on at my desk. And our problem is, is that I'm putting my makeup on. I'm like, oh, he's here. I'm going to go grab it. But you can't put your makeup on while you have your mask on. And I walked out and I was like, oh, my gosh, sorry. I'll grab it. But, I'm going to tell you something. This place, they pay attention. We had a technical guy who came in here once. I didn't have that mask on. I may as well have had the bubonic plague inside this room it is it is so true so it, I, I don't know it, greg so we're looking at this too and i think when you go and i think this is you may have to wear your mask like a mask beard for the next while whether you want to wear your mask yeah. or not because uh you got to have it there just in case but you may not need it i went to costco the other day and they had a big sign out saying masks are still required mm -hmm. here yeah. i think the same with target and Harmons. so do you like that there are options or is this just Republicans being jerks and wanting freedom? <laughs> no, here, here's what I here's what I hope happens. And, and look, you have states like Florida, and uh, you know that if you look at the infection rate per hundred thousand people versus a state like California, which has a lot more mandates and restrictions, Florida's not worse. Uh, I think they're better than than California right yeah. now. Uh, when Texas uh, Governor Abbott decided to take away the mandates, uh, it was described as Neanderthal. They're not seeing. They're seeing their cases continue to decline in that state because this is what I think I hoped we see happen here. Just because we say it's not mandated, it doesn't mean that people won't take reasonable precautions or that businesses might still yeah. ask you to wear a mask. Yeah. It doesn't mean – so what has bothered me about this debate is if we say mandate, that means everybody, government by edict. You all have to wear it. And if I don't, if I'm government and I don't by edict tell you to, then nobody will ever wear one. You could I go don't to think jail that's the for case. six months in Salt Lake City and pay a $1,000 fine. I, I honestly wow. think that yeah. when this mandate, Aaron when the government <laughs> mandate goes away, I, I imagine that there will be convenience stores or places that I will want to go into that may require a mask. And if I want to go in there, I'll need to wear my mask. There may be some that won't. Um, it, it will be up to those businesses, those businesses, you know, that want to keep their employees safe and customers safe. It'll be up to the patrons and how we want to make right. sure we're safe, but it's okay. Cause we can exercise these, these precautions in a land of Liberty. And we don't need government edicts to say that we're going to either have not a mask to be found or everyone's going to wear it. I think that the mandates are not the same as no one's going to wear a mask or everyone's going to wear a mask. I think you'll see. Uh, I think you'll see a reasonable blend, and uh, and I think that's good. I, I I think that people will still wear masks even when after April 10th in our state. Will well, you drive to Utah County to go shopping because you don't have to wear a mask <laughs> as opposed to Salt Lake County? Yeah, well, you know what? That's the power of a consumer now, isn't it? You power your dollar. You can go where you feel most comfortable and more safe. I, look, I picked up some habits I'm not going to get rid of. The mask that does, it's hard to... It's still, I'm not disciplined enough in the mask uh, wearing wearing it for long periods of time. I can do it if I'm running into a store or something. But I'll tell you what I do have is I've got this little hook thing I've used to open up doors. I have determined after this whole You've thing. You've become a germaphobe? Oh, my gosh. I just don't want to open up doors that people with their, their, their grotty hands have touched. I just like opening it without touching what they touch. I used to do it in ba public bathrooms all the time. I've just extended it to... I'm not going to, I'm going to open up doors of, pu of public Here, places. I'm going to take a picture of that so people yes. can see when we post it's, this. It's slide. brass. It doesn't carry germs. That's what they say on Facebook. Oh, okay. Yeah. All see right. that? I think it's brilliant. It is true. So, pick their noses, pick their yeah, butts. Oh, 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 I mean, but you never know. Once, once, because I, here's the other thing. It's spring. Allergies are coming. Yeah. Do you know how in trouble we are? Because the first person that, you know, coughing is like, 
Oh, you're yeah. in trouble I now, have right? Allergies as so well, as soon as the, as soon as <laughs> these allergies it, hit, yeah. it's going to be like one of those zombie movies where everybody's <laughs> running because they think you have it. I don't know what we're going to do with allergies with our fear of coughing in public now and, and all those other things. But I think there are precautions that I have become used to now, uh, and it's not touching what other people touch yeah. if I can help it. I'm going to keep. You're going to wipe well, yeah. off your gas uh, pump? Uh, yeah. I, I might do. use, I, you know what? I, use I the, get a paper towel. Yeah, Is that what you do? Towel. I do too. I, I, I get I a paper, paper towel. towel. and then secrets here. Yeah. Well, if you go they to Sinclair, yeah. they have a little dispenser of little plastic ah. things that you just yeah. use in there. So. Yeah, I like that. Two, th- two things on this, Heidi, real quick. The the first is I, I, I have really learned to appreciate um, the mask. And, you know, when I used to get on a plane and I'd see, uh, and most of them were Asians wearing masks, I used to think, oh. Why, is it, why are they doing that? That's just so weird. Because they had a bird flu everywhere. That's why. Well, that was yeah. the first thing. But yeah. the second thing, the RSV, RSV rate went down so much. And, uh, you know, that's the, the young yeah. kids that get, yeah. the, you, you know, this is yeah, a mother. Yes, so I had a preemie, and that's like a big concern for when they're born Huge early. concern. Yeah. And, and that, that about went away. And this is the first year for me personally. I've never had a cold. I did wow. not have a one cold this year. Um, but I, I like what Greg said. And it goes back to this principle of one time of uh, Joseph Smith taught this. Teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves. And I think on this one, what you're saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the principles are out there. Listen to the science. And if you think your family is fine without having a mask, you know, you've been taught that this principle, that, that you could catch this and it could still happen even when you're vaccinated. Yep. They don't have the data mm-hmm. on that yet. And so I think that's where you have to really be realistic about government and what we do and the edict, edicts that we put on. By the way, let me give you a life hack. If you got a teenage, if you got a college kid, okay, in your family who lives away from home and they come to visit you at home, college kids do not socially distance by instinct. Right. They're right. coming home. They're like little right. super spreaders, these college yeah. kids. That's, right. I had my system down. I wasn't getting this thing at all. I didn't have – and then my daughter comes home over President's Day weekend, and she just aerosols my whole house. She just takes the cookie jar the, – the bag of cookies I'm sticking my hand in, and she aerosols in there, gives me COVID. She does. That is my that daughter. That's rude. So if you have a college kid – Red alert. That's you, my life you hack. You need a teacher to cough into her elbow, although we use those to elbow bump nose. These kids, they, they, everybody they know, they're telling me this story before I even got, you know, everyone we know, they get it, and it's all fine. They don't know anyone that has any serious complications, and I'm going, then why are you in my house exactly? Okay, you, you seem to not care. So I just think if you have a college kid and they're coming home, just be... Just no. Stick them someplace. Yes. No. Just go put them somewhere. I think it has taught us some personal responsibility, though. I've been guilty in the past when I have a cold. I always feel like I have to go to work because I'm like, they'll need me. Right, what are they going to do right. if I don't go in? And so I'll go into work feeling miserable because I think I'm doing something right and right. helping people by going in. So I think in the future, maybe we've learned the lesson that if you're not feeling well, right. take the sick day, stay home. You know. So I think there's yeah. a few things we've learned. What I wish we would have learned and talked about over the last year is the personal responsibility of... You know, maybe if you drink only one Diet Coke a day instead of three or, like, just exercise. There's so many things of our personal responsibility of being healthy of the way we eat and we exercise and the sleep we get that we haven't talked about that because there's a lot of things we can do to strengthen our immune systems, but we're like, whatever. You know, Heidi, it's been shocking that we have not seen a greater emphasis on on health and wellness. If we know that that is how our immune system can become stronger and we can be healthier, it's not a long-term longevity issue anymore. It's It's immediate. And yet, 
the way we quarantined and the way we weren't able to go anywhere, we were actually, I was gaining weight. I gained the COVID 20 pounds, you know, it wasn't 19, it was 20. And, and that doesn't help you with the immunity. So, so, you know, health and wellness is such an important part of it. I take vitamin D3. You know, I've learned that that's an important uh, vitamin yeah, to have. For you you get it from system. the sunlight, but you can also get it as a supplement. So, but unless you're walking nude, like, and have that, <laughs> that's that the only way you can it's do. It's hard it. to get it because when you only have your head out, you know, if you're walking around with clothes on, you're not getting the well, vitamin D. You have to go tanning. Not, just tan. Don't okay? do that. Just That'll give you cancer. Tan. But I'm just saying, either lay out in your backyard where no one can see you, or take the vitamin D pills because just your head isn't going to do it's it. It's not going to do it. Okay. okay, I'm going to tell Linda. Linda, did you hear that? Okay, when I get home, I just... It's time to go tan. Heidi said... (laughs) Go to the tanning salon. Maybe don't do that, because if you get arrested, I can't be responsible for this. All right, so no uh, mask burnings just yet. Uh, I want to talk before we go real quick about uh, the border, because uh, Senator Mike Lee visited last week. We saw Burgess Owens down there this week. I know we're not going to solve this problem right now, but there's got to be a way forward. Everyone wants to blame Republicans or Democrats for this problem, can we all admit there is a problem? Because we have all of these people. How do we take care of them? I Can don't know. Scott feel my look? Because I know that the, Biden's, the Biden administration has a problem with the word crisis. They've been a little bit shy about that word. <laughs> I think so there's I'm a crisis you. now. There was a crisis. Do you admit there, there's a crisis? We'll ask 100%. you that. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, I, this is the answer. If there were people like Greg and like me sitting down and saying, we're going to come up with a solution. Greg did this on homelessness. He led that and he said, we're going to come together and we're going to have a solution. This should have been fixed 10 administrations ago. Mm-hmm. And we should have had a policy where you don't have to come to the border in order to gain entrance. In each country, we should have an, an, an attached to the embassy. Yeah. where they can go in there and they can plead their case and they can say this is going on. And if the people who are in the State Department, that's their job. That's what they've been trained to do their whole life. But to that's have a brilliant idea. Well, have them that. come from Honduras and go through that stuff and all that, th- this is insane. This is, this is like us using rotary phones when we have a cell phone. And for them to go on these huge trips, and the only ones who get rich are the coyotes. They're I know. And did you see that video this week of that little boy who'd been dro- dropped? Um, dropped just by uh, thrown over. It's just heartbreaking. It's just like this is just not a humane way for families to be gaining no. entry to the greatest you know country in the world. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think it's sad to me that we only have Republicans going down right now to the border because Biden's the president. And then when Trump was the president, it was only Democrats going down there to say how bad it was. But it's a problem and it's fixable. And if I go back from when I can remember as an adult or even a teenager watching the news, both Republicans and Democrats as presidents have always, until this last election, talked about border security and coming in, but coming in the right way. And I feel like we've lost it this time where I don't think that there was that same talk. And it doesn't mean that things can't change, but everyone campaigns on it, but then does nothing about it. We've been talking about trying to fix DACA forever. So we've been talking for decades and decades about the issue, and it's a great thing to campaign on, but no one ever does anything. So how do we fix it, Greg? Can we actually agree on anything, or is this just one of these things we'll politically fight about till we all die? Well, in the, in the current, the current climate that we're in, it is so polarized. And and it, I, I found it astounding to even for uh, Speaker Pelosi to even try an immigration bill at the same time we are dealing with this crisis on the border. Talk about cynicism and people worried about what the consequences are while you're looking at 
at, at potential amnesty or DACA kids that were brought that came over that we do need to do something about. But in the time, it was almost like they didn't want to do anything about it because of the time that they at timing they were pushing that forward. Um, this this is an issue that I, I'm going to tell you. This is a unique time where the media has not had as much access, photographers and media, to these area to this these border uh, stations and, and areas. But I, there has to be a way to do this. There has to be a more. We are a nation of immigrants. We are a melting pot. If you've ever attended a naturalization ceremony, it is it's one awesome. of the most joyous, one of the most exciting. I, I've been able, I've been honored to be asked to speak at these naturalization ceremonies, and we take selfies together. For 45 minutes after it's over, people are so excited. And that's people that are coming to this country and wanting to be not hiding in the shadows, but be an American. And we, you know, it's land of the free, home of the brave. If we don't get that, that this immigration policy right, and if we don't find an orderly way to let people come to this country legally, as our, most of us and somewhere in our family history did, you know... It's, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. But what you see right now is you had during the campaign, if you heard a candidate for president that said, um, we, we are not going to deport because someone is simply without documentation. They have to be a criminal or something else. And you know that the current president, President Trump, was not allowing entry uh, and, and would deport if they were not documented. Or if you had an asylum case that you wanted to, to have adjudicated, you had to wait outside United States and not have it adjudicated in the country. And when you hear the campaign's positions be completely opposite than that, how did we not think or that there would not be a surge and there would not be a desire to come across because <coughs> the, the policies for coming across, if undocumented, were not going to be necessarily enforced the way the Trump administration was doing it. So that's all politics. And I'm just going to say that if we want to get this right, we have to think about these. I mean, just that image of that child that you described is Do so horrific. Do we finish the wall, though? Everyone thinks the wall is the answer, and then we see a kid getting dropped over the wall. Well, I, I do. I've even seen that the home, the new Homeland Security uh, Secretary has considered now finishing and completing that wall. So it, it looks like there's even – maybe they've been chastised and told not to say that out loud. But there has been discussion of making that more difficult – um, only so that we can, again, deal with how do we or bring people in. Have a wall or a fence, but have a wide gate. And I think that's where Scott says, I think we could work this out. I do. I think there's common ground to be found, but not currently in the climate that we're in. Uh, uh, Heidi, this and Greg, this goes down for me is I hate it when people say, oh, you're trying to solve hom homelessness or you're trying to solve the immigration. And, you know, it's so much more complicated I just it, it 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 just boils my skin because it's not that complicated. No, it doesn't seem that it's hard. It's not no. okay. Us three here, let's go put to our embassies in every country a uh, a border uh, control group there, and if you want to come in or you've experienced. Uh, 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 criminal activity and you feel like you're a victim and you all, all you fit all that criteria then you can be at the the list and you know what we all we that the money that we're spending we could even provide a bus that would take you and have somebody greet you at the gate and make sure you're immunized make sure that you had the right papers so no sneaking in at night it would why be would like you, a warm welcome why why wouldn't think about yeah. your house 
I mean, more often you're going to invite people in your house when there's a warm welcome. The burglar, you don't want to come in. You know, you, yep. you, you want to get, and it make, turns them into criminal when they when they do that. But it is that is that that complicated? If you if you were Senator Hatch. Which, <laughs> I could be, right? I could carry it on. <laughs> Boy, that'd be an upgrade. <laughs> You're impressed at use. Wouldn't you want to sit down and, and, and just have that conversation? Here's some principles that we want to do. Let's go fix it. And, and, and Scott, to that point, uh, is, it, is it moral, is it humane for people that do not live in proximity of a border to, to want to still come to this yeah. country or may need to or want to seek asylum and have such a different the barriers of entry are so much higher and so much harder. Is it okay for us to make it harder for some and, and, and not yeah. have the same approach for others? Yeah. No, that, that there's nothing moral or fair about something like that. It should be a, a uniformly addressed issue that people that want to come to this country as it's always been, we're a unique country this way. This is why I worry about is it gets off the topic a little bit, but identity politics, when we keep finding political narratives that divide us or find ways to differentiate ourselves, we are particularly in trouble in America because we are all from somewhere else. We are all, yeah, we right. are a melting pot. This is a pot. human problem. Of this all isn't like people. a political right. problem. Yeah. Of all the p- countries, this is the country where we are, you know, race, color, and creed. We have come to this country for liberty. We have come here for, I mean, so this is a country where we, we are most vulnerable to being turned against one another uh, by differences. But we can't, uh, succumb to that and there's so many ways we can do this right think about the immigrants that come that just want a job and they want to have money so the migrant workers that do the seasonal farm yeah what let's welcome them and embrace them and then let them go back and the, the time that they're working here they can send that money back we just did some landscaping in a yard every single person that worked there except the boss was of latin america yeah. descent and I talked to Rafino one day, and he said, you know, I love this country. I want to be here. And I left because I, I couldn't have the same opportunities. And and here's a guy that will go back. And, and <laughs> the guy who did our wood floors, he came over, and he was on a green card, and he made enough money that he went back and bought two houses, and he, he went wow. back to his wife and everything. But he was a hardworking guy. I mean, he had a, a, a flooring company that was he was doing Deer Valley stuff. Yeah. But he saved his money, and he did that, and he went back. You know, his card was ready to expire. He went back, and he benefited you and I and, and everybody else, and then he benefited his family. It, it's not that yeah. complicated. No, and it shouldn't be a use and abuse situation either. I saw recently, I think it was this last week, there was a story. I can't remember who did it, but uh, a lot of uh, Mexican farm workers make, I think, about $7 a day on the farms there. But apparently in Puerto Rico, uh, the farming isn't getting done because uh, as a U.S. territory, there's a lot of people there, farm workers, who are making more money, as we've talked about, with that extra three to $400 a week staying at home so they don't want to work. And so they're taking the opportunity thinking, I'll make seven twenty-five an hour, the U.S. minimum wage, and they'll go there and work um, – all day and earn that money while Americans are sitting at home. So <laughs> it's just like, yeah. none of it like really just makes sense. It's just like, I'm telling you come this. on guys, we can pull this together <laughs> yes. and make this work. I'm big on wages. I really can think we that we all have the to... people that we don't like to <laughs> send them to, I don't know what country we don't like to send them to. Can we make our uh, own country? Syria. Let's send if, them if, Syria. We can, if we can have an economy where the people that are working are not in the shadows, that you're not paying them under the table the and tax, less than yeah, market. Yeah. 
We know we need yeah. to be able to support our families. We need yeah. to be able to raise right. our kids. You do that with a wage that you can do those very things. The economy work. It's an ama- amazing thing, our free market. But if you have situations where people are coming in where they are not uh, through the front door and you can pay them less than market, it hurts everyone. It, it, it's it's not designed to work that way. And so the, the, the process you described, Scott, is one where everybody is – Nobody's in the shadows. We're coming forward. Right. We're doing this in right. a way. And I think that that makes sure that the economy works the way it was always intended. And people can make a living and support their families and live the American dream. Greg used Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wages came right through. I think That's he's it. ready to join the union. I think, he's, I think it's he's... It's a pendulum, <laughs> I'm telling you. I hate crony capitalism. It's under my skin right now. So It's crawling around. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun conversation. I feel like we're out of time. I wanted to talk about uh, the 2022 election, but we'll save that for another week. There's always an There's election. 2022 right? still, always, it's still the out there. It's still out there. What are you running for, Greg? I don't Nothing. Know. You and Scott should run together. Citizen Hughes. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends of Subscribe and we will talk next week.